Morning, Lakeland. So we are still headed toward, I'm gonna have to sneeze. I'm gonna get a little tissue because if that happens again, I'm not wiping another one on my finger and sticking it in my pocket. And then it all fell apart. Oh wait, I got tissues up here. It's weird, since we put these up here, I've never needed them again. I had this real bad allergy season where I was like, snotting all the time on stage. And I said, just put a Kleenex up there and I'll just ask for one. That was it, like four years. You bet. Yeah, it has this, Kai told me yesterday, he saw a meme, he said, I used to cough to cover up my farts. Now I fart to cover up my coughs. (laughs) Okay. Get that sheen off. All right, I think I'm ready. Okay. Good morning, Lakeland. I'm so glad we could be together in this way. We are headed toward Easter still, and we are still in the Gospel of Mark. However... I don't want to cover the passage that I mentioned last week where Peter denies Jesus three times. It's a wonderful story and we'll come back to it. But I feel like with everything going on that we would benefit more from looking back one chapter at Mark chapter 13. So let's start there, right in verse 1. As Jesus was leaving the temple that day, one of his disciples said, Teacher, look at these magnificent buildings. Look at the impressive stones in the walls. Jesus replied, yes, look at these great buildings, but they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. Later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives across the valley from the temple. Peter, James, John, and Andrew came to him privately and asked him, tell us when all this will happen. What sign will show us that these things are about to be fulfilled? They're asking about the end of the world. Jesus just told them the temple in Jerusalem is going to be torn to the ground. And they think, surely that means we've come to the end of all things. Tell us, what will be the signs that that's about to happen? Oh my word, is that where we're going? One week into virus quarantine and we're whipping out the end of the world passages? So it's hard not to think that way, right? I don't blame anyone. You look at the news, you see people running around in hazmat suits, and you see some of the chaos and destruction going on in other countries. And you see the curves every night on the news. It's hard not to think kind of end of time, end of the world sort of thoughts. I don't blame a single person. That's exactly why I wanted to go to Mark chapter 13. Because Jesus answers this in a way that is quite unexpected. Go back to verse 4. Tell us when all this will happen. What sign will show us that these things are about to be fulfilled? Jesus replied, don't let anyone mislead you. For many will come in my name, claiming, I am the Messiah. They will deceive many. 
and you will hear of wars and threats of wars. But don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Jesus basically says, this is not the end of the world. This is not the end of the world. This is their story. Forty years after this conversation, what Jesus has predicted does happen. Uh, There's a rebellion in Jerusalem. Rome comes down to crush it. They surround the city of Jerusalem. It's a walled city. They hold people inside that city basically to starve them to death. Some first century historians have written about it and their accounts are terrifying. They have accounts that some people sold their babies to be used for food by other people. I mean, that's just a terrible, terrible story. And then... Once the city was on its knees, Rome moved in to conquer. And the general went to the temple and literally said, Tear it down. Let not one stone stand on top of another. What can we gather from that story? Well, this. God was not surprised. This is one of the most horrifying events ever to happen in the history of the people who were reading this story. But God was not surprised. In fact, God had sent his son and his son warned them that it would take place 40 years before it did. And here's the thing. God also had a way out for them. You see, there was a group inside those walls, a certain sect of Judaism that believed and they told everyone, if we hide inside the temple, God will rescue us miraculously because God will never let his temple be destroyed. The scriptures never promised them that and no prophet ever promised them that. They more or less made that up. And Jesus has come 40 years before those events to say that's not how that's going to go down. In fact, we won't study the verses today, but a little later in chapter 13, Jesus says, when you see this stuff start happening, flee. Flee the city. It's over. And for the Jews who did that, that is the form of Judaism that has survived even to today. And for the Christians who fled the city, and most of them did because they had this word from Jesus, for the Christians who fled the city, they have flourished and now one-third of the world's population is Christian because they stood with God who knew this was going to happen and was not surprised. That's their story. Here's our story. We now stand during a global pandemic. If you're my age, this has never occurred in our lifetime, nor my parents' lifetime, nor my grandparents' lifetime. You'd have to go all the way back to our great-grandparents, to have anyone who would have any memories of a time like this, when the whole world was in a global pandemic. But here's the thing. God is not surprised. God is not taken by surprise, as we clearly are. God is not unprepared. God has looked across the whole expanse of history and seen this and all future disasters and epidemics. And so standing with him in faith is the right place to stand. He also has 
the way forward for us, which we're going to come to. But this is a time to stand in faith, not in fear. Now, I want to be careful with that. I have great fear right now, as I know many of you do. I have great fear. I have great uncertainty. But the truth is, most of it is about things that are quite beyond my control. I can't flatten that curve by myself. I can do my part. I can't make things keep going as they've been going. I can do my part. And so all of my fear won't accomplish much, although it's there and I can't get rid of it. But if I stand with God who is not surprised and who knows all things and who already sees how this ends, and it will end, if I stand with him, I'm standing in the right place. The whole key is to let my faith be stronger than my fear. There was an old karate movie I watched as a kid. It's really not a very good karate movie, so I'm not even going to mention it. But it did have this one scene where a grandmother asked her grandson, do you know what courage is? And he says, courage is when you're not afraid. And she said, no. Courage is doing what is right, even when you are afraid. That's what I've taken away. And that's what applies to us today. Our faith has to be stronger than our fear. We have to do what is right and stand with God, even though we are afraid. And we are afraid. Standing with him, we're in the right place. In fact, Jesus is going to take us there in verse 8. He says, Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in many parts of the world, as well as famines. But this is only the first of the birth pains, with more to come. So he describes the eventual end of time coming in these series of birth pains. And there'll be others. Verse 9. But when these things begin to happen, watch out. You will be handed over to the local councils and beaten in the synagogues. You will stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell them about me. For the good news must first be preached to all nations. Jesus has said so much there that we're just going to stop there in our study and focus on those three verses, 8 through 10. Now, interesting, Mark is not the only one to record this conversation with Jesus. It's also recorded in Luke, and it's also recorded in Matthew. Luke adds an interesting extra line for us. Luke says there will be great earthquakes, and there will be famines, and plagues in many lands. That sounds familiar, right? Plagues in many lands. This passage is full of meaning. And the first meaning I want to point out to us is that our God is realistic. Our God is not selling us fairy tales. He is not a fair weather God. He says, there will be wars. There will be famine. There will be plagues. I am with you. I see these things. I know how they start. I know how they end. Stand with me. Our God doesn't come to us and say, look, if you just pray or you tithe or you serve others, or you, 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 nothing bad will ever happen to you. You couldn't trust a God like that. That's not how the world is. Now that everything is not okay, he doesn't wander off to come back when there's better times. He's here. He saw these times coming. He's not surprised and we can stand with him 
and faith. That's why our faith can be stronger than our fear because our God has told us the truth and he will always tell us the truth. And in times like this, he tells us the truth more than anyone else. The next piece of good news I want us to gather from this passage is he warns his followers that they're going to be persecuted, turned over to governors and and turned over to kings and, and put to death. I think we're not going to deal with anything like that. In some ways, we have this one advantage over what the disciples were about to suffer. Everyone in the world, this is the first time in history I can think of this, everyone in the world is going through what you and I are going through right now. That's never happened that I can think of in human history. Seven billion people on this planet, and right now, not one of them could look you in the eye and say, I don't know what your problem is. I just need you to give me what you owe me. Everyone going through the same thing. Everyone understanding the fear of it. Everyone understanding the uncertainty. We're all in it together, which gives me great hope that we're going to all pull through together. I mean, already the utility companies have said, we're not going to shut anyone off for non-payment right now. Already, the uh, student loans have said, we're not going to compound interest while you're not paying right now. The IRS, right? The biggest boogeyman in some of our lives has said, you can pay your taxes late. It's fine. All sorts of these sorts of gestures. School districts going to deliver hot meals by bus. These sorts of gestures say that everyone's clued in. We're all going through it together. That's better than what they were handling there in the Bible. And here's the next thing that Jesus tells us this verses these couple of verses where he says but this will be your opportunity to tell them about me for the good news must first be preached to all nations building a community of authentic followers of jesus christ telling others about the love of god he says that's still the mission That's our church's mission statement, to build a community of authentic followers of Jesus Christ. That was our mission two weeks ago, and that's still our mission today and for the months to come. It wasn't that our mission statement was something off to the side, and now that we have hard times, that's not important anymore. That's still the most important thing. In fact, Jesus implies here that even if humanity were destroying itself with its sin, God would save it because... The good news must first be preached to all nations. He would not let the end come until everyone had a chance to hear about his great love for them. That good news. Our church's mission is so important to him that it's the main event. And he would save the world just to get that word out. That's still the most important thing. That's good news. In fact, That's where Mark goes next. Mark will next tell a story about a master who goes away and leaves his servants in charge of the estate. He says some of the servants do what they're supposed to and run the estate, but others get lazy and slough off. Some even start abusing and oppressing the other servants. And then the master returns unexpectedly. And he says, what does he find? Those he finds serving, he lets them stay in the house. Those he finds lazy and sloughing off or abusing the other servants, he throws out. The point? Whether it's the end of the world or not, whatever time you're in, should the Son of Man return, be found doing the Master's work, doing the Master's mission. I told you that the Gospel of Matthew has this same conversation. He also, right after, launches into a story. In fact, he triples it up, three stories. 
He tells the story about the master who went on a long trip, left his servants in charge. Then Matthew tells a story about a group of bridesmaids at a wedding. And their one job was to stand outside the tent where the bride and groom are going to have their first night. I know, a little PG-13, but that's their culture. So they stood outside with lanterns lit. And when the groom comes from the wedding, then they're all supposed to celebrate and whoop and holler and it's a great night. But some of these bridesmaids, it says, didn't bring enough oil for their lamp. Because so, who knows how long the groom's going to be at the party. And so when the groom finally shows up, they don't have enough oil left to keep their lamp lit to celebrate. He said, the point, be ready. You don't know when the Son of God will come and say, now it's time to celebrate my return. Are you ready? And then he has a third story in which a master gives two servants money to invest. And, one, and then he comes back later and says, well, what did you do? And one of them had invested it and grown a big business and made a bunch. And another one just buried it in the ground. The point of that story, Matthew says, is all of us will be asked at some unexpected time by God, well, what did you do with what I gave you? And the answer to that matters more than anything else. The Gospel of Luke also has this conversation with Jesus, but Luke has no story. He just summarizes it very plainly. Luke says, watch out. Don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing and drunkenness and by the worries of this life. Don't let that day catch you unaware like a trap. For that day will come upon everyone living on the earth. Keep alert at all times and pray that you might be strong enough to escape these coming horrors and stand before the Son of Man. So how has this worked for Christians before our time? Here is how it has worked for Christians in the past, during times of epidemic. During the plague periods in the Roman Empire, Christians made a name for themselves. Historians have suggested the terrible Antonian plague of the 2nd century, which might have killed off a quarter of the Roman Empire, led to the spread of Christianity. As Christians cared for the sick and offered a spiritual model where plagues were not the work of an angry or capricious deity, but they were the product of a broken creation in revolt against the loving God. But the more famous epidemic, the plague of Cyprian, named for a bishop who gave a colorful account of this disease in his sermons. It was probably a disease related to Ebola, The plague of Cyprian helped set off the crisis of the third century in Rome, but it did something else too. It triggered the explosive growth of Christianity. Cyprian's sermons told Christians not to grieve for plague victims, who now live in heaven, but redouble efforts to care for the living. His fellow bishop Dionysus described how Christians, heedless of danger, took charge of the sick, attending to their every need. Nor was it just Christians who noted this reaction of Christians to the plague. A century later, the pagan emperor, Julian, would complain bitterly how Christians would care for even non-Christian sick people. While the church historian Pontanaeus, I don't really know how to pronounce his name, I apologize, I tried all week, recounts how Christians ensured that good was done to all men, not merely to the household of faith. 
The sociologist and religious demographer Rodney Stark claims that the death rates in cities with Christian communities may have been just half that of other cities. That's how it's worked for Christians in the past who faced times like this. And here is how it's going to work for us. First thing is let us continue to meet in this online format for as long as we need to, to keep folks safe. Uh, Follow us, log on, let us all hear the word. Let us all pray together. Let us all worship together. And if you have good news to share, a mercy from God that you've seen or a little miracle that's happened in your life, um, share that, an email with one of the pastors and and we'd like to share that with the whole community. We're going to need some good news in the days and weeks and months to come. So let's stay together and stay one and worship in this way and gather each Sunday. Here's another way, and this is the most important. Every single person needs to be in a small group by this afternoon. If you're already in a small group, we're encouraging everyone to download Zoom. It's a free program unless you want to host like a dozen people or something so download zoom hopefully we're running the caption right that right now or maybe even a screenshot of what it looks like and then in your small groups i'm going to recommend you meet this way twice a week for a while if you've got that sort of time twice a week for a while Uh, read a scripture together Um, if you were studying a book before keep reading it and studying it together but then do this The last half of your meeting times, share one another's needs. Pray for one another. Brainstorm and problem solve. Maybe someone in your group is out of this, but someone else has some. Maybe someone in your group is too sick to go pick up their prescription, but someone else could pick it up for them and drop it off on their front porch. Maybe both parents have become ill and they have a young child. Someone in the group could care for that young child until they recover. Let there be no need among us. It says that in the book of Acts. There was no needs among the people of the church. This is how we're going to get through this. This is how our faith can be stronger than our fear and how we can be found doing what the master calls us to do. Pull together in your small groups and share your needs as this unfolds and care for one another. That will remove so much anxiety just to know that you have people you're going to talk with twice a week that if anything starts to wobble, They can help get it back upright again. And for all of you who it's your natural inclination to wonder, what can I do? How can I help? That's how you can help. Be in a small group and be attentive and be prepared to help those in need. We will pull through this all together if we follow this model. So get on Zoom tonight. If you're not in a small group and you do not know how you can form one up, I want you to email Pastor Marta. Hopefully her contact information is appearing now. And let her know and she'll start pairing people up into small groups. And if your small group has an open spot that you can accept someone, email her and let her know that. And then let's remember how the Christians during the times of the Roman plagues reacted. It said not only those of the household of faith were cared for, but non-Christians too. And so once your small group is established and you're praying and caring for one another, then... Everyone adopt one other person. There's probably someone in your neighborhood, probably someone in your workplace, probably someone in your family who's vulnerable. They're elderly. They're already sick. 
They're a single parent. They've experienced a job loss too. Each of us could probably adopt one person to look after and bring those needs to your small group also and pray and brainstorm solutions. Now, some of your inclination is to try to save your entire neighborhood or the whole city. I don't think you'll be able to bring that kind of need into your small group and and pull that off. But let's start just one person at a time, each person, one person. We can double the span of care of our community. That's what it means to be found doing the master's work when the Lord returns. And then share boldly. Share boldly. When people ask you, why have you adopted me in this way? Why are you caring for me like this? Just look them in the eye and tell them, this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. In fact, I have this notepad that I'm carrying around and I'd like to pray for you. How could I be praying for you this week? What are you worried about? What do you need? And then ask them next week how this went. How quickly things change. How quickly things change, everyone. Just seven days ago, doesn't it seem so long? Just seven days ago, I stood right here and and you watched as we had a message about let's not warm ourselves by the fire. Let's share our faith, even though it might be awkward. And suddenly it's not awkward at all. It's the most natural thing in the world to say, hey, we're all going through something. How can I pray for you? This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. If I haven't said it already in this message, I'll say it again. I have had more conversations with people about Christ Jesus, people outside the church. I've had more conversations with people in the last three days than I have in the last 10 years. A neighbor, another neighbor, a contractor who was just doing some work. One of them, I said, I heard you were starting to get plugged into a church. Did that happen or do you need a church home? They said, I'm getting plugged in somewhere else. I said, okay, as long as you're going somewhere. And across the street, that individual stopped and yelled back to me, hey, hey, thanks for asking me that. Not everyone would care enough to ask. How quickly things change. He didn't say it was awkward at all. In fact, he wondered why more people didn't ask that sort of thing. Talking with the contractor on the phone, just doing some work. Before long, I said, how can I pray for you? And he said, I'm worried about my sons. They've just come back from Florida. Um, They're still going out at night. They're not taking this very seriously. And then we shared a story about Christ and what he can do. That's just a contractor on the phone talking about doing some work. How quickly things change. That's what the mission's about. That's what this time is about. To build a community of authentic followers of Jesus Christ. We were doing it a month ago. We're doing it now. We'll be doing it in the months to come. Let there be no need among us. And that people say at the end of all this, and there will be an end to this, those folks at Lakeland, they are true to their God. They walk the walk. They talk the talk. They cared for others. And we'll let God do the rest. We'll let God do the rest. Let's pray. Father, I pray right now for those who have lost their job or are fearful that they may lose their job. Pray that you would provide for them. Lord, I pray for those who are sick, who are already sick with other things that put them at great risk. Lord, care for them. Father, we pray you would protect them.
and heal them. Father, I pray for all those who have fears and anxieties that we would turn to you. Send your Holy Spirit to remind us when we are at our greatest fear to drop to our knees right there in that room and pray and hand over to you the things we cannot control. Send your Spirit to comfort us in that moment and let us know today's worries are enough for today. Help us to stand and take the next step. Lord, give us the conviction that when we have an opportunity to share your love with someone, that that is what you most want us to do in the whole world. We commit to you today, Lord Jesus Christ, we will do it. We will share your love with others. We thank you for our church that you have brought us together. May there be no need among us. Father, help us all to have the strength to carry through with what we must do now to keep everyone safe. Lord, we pray for our children. They would continue to learn. Lord, help us to fight something as simple as the boredom of it all. Give us ways to rejoice and celebrate and have joy, even in this time. It is the name of Christ Jesus we pray. Amen. Why don't we stand together? Can we do that? Let's stand together and let's recite the Lord's Prayer. And know that you're not just reciting this with everyone at Lakeland. You're reciting this with the whole church all over the world. And even the whole church back in time. Let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Get with your small group today. Get into a small group today. Get the Zoom app if you can. Start meeting. Start being together. And we will weather this storm with Christ. In fact, we will even advance the cause of Christ in this time as we increase our faith till it is stronger than any fear. Let me send you out with this blessing. May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness and protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace.